episode of Neo Reality Collective is brought to you by The Everyday Fan. Check out their content and a passionate group of content creators getting together to create content for the, for the growing community of pop culture, fan base, fandoms, and especially sports such as football, basketball, baseball, professional wrestling, and MMA fantasy sport. Control your content and, set, and set, share your story around the world today. The Neo Reality Entertainment brand expands with a relaunch of the Neo Reality Collective Pop Culture News Talk. Your host, Eric Brown, gives his insights and thoughts in the ever-expanding news world of comic books, professional wrestling, gaming, TV, and movies. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa. Today's edition of Neo Reality Collective is brought to you by Anchor.fm, a free distribution service podcasting hosting platform that allows you to record your podcast on your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so much more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor.fm app or go to Anchor.fm to get started today. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone, we're back with the 42nd, 43rd episode of Neo Reality Collective. Botch right there. Brought to you by, like the ad says at the beginning, brought to you by EDF, Everyday Fans. So, let's get right into this pop culture stuff. Resident Evil Rebirth has a new release date. The multiplayer game originally set to launch alongside Resident Evil The Village has a new release date for October 28th, 2022. The latest release date was showcased at Capcom Showcase and it will launch on the same day as the winter expansion arrives for Resident Evil Village. For those unfamiliar, the DLC will add a long way to story expansion, Shadows of Road, Lady Dimitrescu, and other playable characters to the Mercenaries mode and a third-person mode to Village's campaign. The multiplayer experience has multiple delays so that the team can continue working on it to deliver the smooth gameplay experience and hopefully it can finish, finally deliver its promise later this year. And uh, what was the promise? A six-player PvP deathmatch where players become different characters from across the Resident Evil series. Reverse has an open beta test back in April 2021, but it was cut short due to matchmaking troubles. Alongside the release dates for the DLC and Reverse, the Capcom Showcase also new also showcased a look at Resident Evil 4, new details on Monster Hunter Sunbreak, and a new look at co-op dinosaur murder action game Exo Prime Primal which we will cover in the next episode since there are 50 articles and I had to split this off. Meanwhile, yeah, Resident Evil Mercenaries mode will get you to play Lady Dimitrescu, so... I'm pretty sure certain fans will be excited for that. Meanwhile, Cyberpunk Edgerunners, the main protagonist, was referenced in the game two years ago. Protagonist David Martinez of the... Cyberpunk Edgerunner anime series has been referenced from its launch date back in 2020 from Cyberpunk 2077. There's a drink called the David Martinez this that can be purchased from the Afterlife Bar. Well, that doesn't seem too exciting. Fans of the game will know that only legendary figures of the of, of the Cyberpunk world. 
Oh, good string staying after the Menard Afterlife. In, in, Afterlife. Martinez, who was revealed for the first time in the week in a brief trailer for, for the 10 episode anime, is a street kid from Santana Domingo. Oh, that turns personal tragedy into an opportunity to enter the world of edge runners. The drink's description alludes to the story's line too, as it talks about aiming high and making an impact. Though, doesn't that also mean you have to die? So, yeah. So he's doomed. Meanwhile, Assassin's Creed next game will be announced in September, while Valhalla will gain a roguelite mode. So Ubisoft, the controversial company that I will not explain why it's so controversial, it's horrible. Jim Ster James Stephanie Sterling has covered it a lot for various reasons I understand. But uh yeah. This will so Assassin's Creed's next game will be around 6 September with Valhalla getting a new roguelite mode titled Forgotten Saga. The mode is described as a fresh take on the series formula and will be free to all players. It brings to mind Hades, the smash hit roguelite from Super Giant Games, only instead of the Greek underworld, it will feature Nielheim, which fulfills a similar role in Norse mythology. As many fans of Reserve, Myth has taken a greater role in the Assassin's Creed series of the late, conceived as a very realistic take on history. The series has lately been crawling with mythological creatures. Forgotten Saga's journey to Nelfheim appears to be more of the same. On top of the Forgotten Saga, Ubisoft also announced the Assassin's Creed fan can expect one final installment in Avar's tale. Like Forgotten Saga, the content will be a free chapter for all players and will arrive at the end of 2022. The announcement were part of the 15th anniversary celebration stream. Steam stream, whatever, <laughs> would celebrate the release of the original Assassin's Creed in 2007, the Mastery Challenge Pack number 2 in the Army will be returning as part of the event as well as festivals. Ubisoft also announced that there will be new caves to explore as part of the quest to solve the mystery of the Tombs of the Fallen. First released back in 2020 was its most recent expansion being Dawn of Ragnarok. Reception has been needed for the North-centric entry in the running long-running series, leading to speculation Ubisoft might be ready to move on to the previously confirmed Assassin's Creed Infinity but the development team seems to have a few more surprises in store for the year. Aside from Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Ubisoft announced that Assassin's Creed Origin new 4K 60 frames per second patch is available, and that will be free to play from June 16th to June 20th. Valhalla's Discovery Tour Viking Age is also receiving a standalone release on console, Stadia, and at a later date, Luna. So we should be expecting more announcements in the next Assassin's Creed later on in the summer. Yeah, I, I've been keeping track on the Assassin's Creed series, but I don't play it like I used to because of all the stuff I learned about Ubisoft and the dark stuff that's really messed up. So I haven't played any Assassin's Creed games or Watchdog games in a long while. Uh, maybe one day I'll finish them, but right now everything just is very uncomfortable just, to just even talking about it. Meanwhile, the Quarry multiplayer was delayed because the server had to be moved out of the Ukraine because Russia is trying to blow everything up. So, they even said, we had a bit of a weird thing with the multiplayer because part of our team is based out in the Ukraine. No, it's not a weird thing. It's more like a, oh my god, get those people out of there before they get bombed by the Russians. Who probably don't even know what they're doing. Last month, Supermassive Games announced the delay of the multiplayer, but no reason was given for the pushback. At the time, this year said online multiplayer will be added on July 8th by the latest, which, by I said, is still on track. 
The road is completely finished, but the studio had to move the server from, from the Ukraine to Warsaw, Poland for safety reasons. So we had to move the server from Kiev to up to into Warsaw, and those guys had to get out there because it was obviously really dangerous. You know, it's kind of amazing they're not saying why it was so dangerous, because, I don't know. It's literally going to be a couple of weeks, it is actually done, it has to go through testing now. Okay. So, why can't they just say Russia is attacking the Ukraine, so we had to think of our safety first? Instead of just say being really vague and handling it weird? Okay. Meanwhile, next year, by Iron Gate, uh, will be Valheim, the next gigantic survival game. Announced during the showcase, uh, Valheim will arrive on PC Game Pass this fall and will finally head to consoles in spring 2023. The Steam, Xbox, and Microsoft versions will all come with full crossplay. They will also launch it, launch it to early access and really became a huge surprise hit. The unyielding survival game set in Viking Afterlife World recently passed 10 million sales. Iron Guy has enlisted Pit Triv and Fish Labs to work on the Microsoft game Xbox ports without impacting Valheim's ongoing early access development. We are beyond delighted to see the world of Valheim. I am in our amazing community open up to even more people and let our PC Vikings team up with the, your console shield brethrens and sisters in the near future. None of this would be possible without the incredible teams use who are continuing to work tirelessly on the Microsoft Store and Xbox ports, enabling us to focus on Mistlands update and our exciting journey through early access. So, yeah, I haven't heard of this game till I literally had read the article about it. It's this big survival game taking place in the Norse in the uh, Valheim. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even know about this game until literally a few days ago, so yeah. Probably because I don't play early access games because there's always a chance you could get canceled and you're just left with a incomplete game and then it's just super awkward. Meanwhile, because Netflix did not understand the social commentary of the show, they're making a Squid Game show, reality show. Do you see a problem here? <laughs> Netflix announced that it's casting 456 real players in Squid Game The Challenge, a new reality show where contestants will play games for a hefty prize of $4.5656 million prize, one of the largest in game show history. The competition will feature challenges inspired by the original Snow, as well as surprising new additions, probably because there's going to be a season two. Encourage your players to formalize this and deploy unique strategies in order to win. And Netflix had to bring this up. Uh, it's careful to mention that the Squid Game, the challenge, the worst fate is going home empty-handed. Uh, the series will last 10 episodes, though if it gets popular, it's going to become what it was commentating on. And even Squid Game creator is reportedly working on a satire about its overnight success, saying the best show on the planet. Oh, God. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure Mr. Beast is, is pissed that he just 
did this. He spent God knows how much money to build this up, his own little set, and now they just went in and did it themselves. Oh, if they don't get Mr. Beast as the host, that will be a missed opportunity. Meanwhile, Microsoft agrees to take a neutral approach towards the future Activision Blizzard unions. Why? Okay. So, yeah. Microsoft that has taken a proactive step recognizing units that don't even exist yet via a partnership with the Communication Workers of America. The two groups announced that they have entered a new labor neutrality agreement, which will take effect 60 days after the acquisition of Activision Blizzard closes, which is planned prior to June 30, 2023. The agreement states that Microsoft will take a neutral approach when employees express interest in unionizing and will permit them to communicate with their colleagues and union representatives about unions in a way that encourages information sharing and avoid business disruptions. The language seems to apply that Microsoft will not try to hinder employees from discussing unions, and in return, employees will avoid action that might slow down work, such as strikes. Furthermore, the agreement will allow employees to access the innovative technology support and streamline process for choosing whether to join a union. That includes individual employee privacy. And finally, the agreement lays on the groundwork for CWA and Microsoft to work together to resolve any issues that occur while under this agreement, including an expedited aberration process if consensus cannot be found. This agreement provides a pathway for Activision Blizzard workers to exercise their dem democratic rights to organize and collectively bargain after the close of Microsoft's acquisition and establish a higher, frame, higher road framework for employees in the game industry. The agreement addresses CWA's previous concerns regarding the acquisition, and as a result, we support its approval and look forward to working collaboratively with Microsoft after this deal closes. Evaluate! Evaluate! CWA! A President Chris Shelton spoke. CWA and Microsoft have also stated they're exploring further collaboration in the future on initiatives related to new technology and skill building programs. So, yeah, they've been more welcoming towards Union. Even Phil Spencer's explicitly saying he would voluntarily recognize the Raven Software Union in Activision prior to his formation late last month. Activision Blizzard was, in the lead-up to the vote, actively hostile towards Raven's Union. We've seen a group of QA workers at Blizz Bioware work working on dragging a successful unionized, and last year, Voto became, because, became the first official North American Games Union. So, all hell is broken loose. So it's finally time to take back the power. Take back, you get the power. You get the touch. Meanwhile, Kingdom Hearts graphic power kind of limits the number of Disney worlds that can be included according to Tetsui Norma. How does the graphics power limit them? So, according to a new interview, fans of those magical, nostalgic field worlds might see fewer of them in Kingdom Hearts due to graphical limitations. Why? <laughs> he goes on to say that Kingdom Hearts 4 might feel slightly different from the previous Kingdom Hearts styles. We got one look at the upcoming game that shows Sword of World called Quantum, one that looks close to our own. It is definitely a departure from the more fantasy-based world of the first three installments and their various multiple spin-offs. As far as graphic quality, since we, with each new title, the specs have been really increasing, and there's so oh, much more that we could do in terms of graphics. It kind of limits the number of worlds that we could create in a sense, so why not just lower on the graphics obsession and make more swirls? 
And yeah, earlier this year, Norman teased Quadrant is more of an outdoor and is a real, the real world despite featuring real life locations. And there was even mentions of a of an ATST from the Star Wars series in a jungle city. Me dream we might be heading to Endor. Oh man. If Darth Vader doesn't go ahead and fights, I'm gonna be disappointed. Meanwhile, Redfall, uh, the game that was delayed, Arcane Austin has a lot of experience with open-ended game design, but when it came to designing Redfall's world, the famed studio behind Prey had a unique problem. Redfall's open world was actually a bit too open. Okay. What, what do you mean by that? Harvey Smith talked about Redfall designer. Harvey Smith talked about designing the Massachusetts town in which Arcane's new supernatural shooter is set in, describing it as very open. Redfall is an open on-foot video game, he says, and the team has worked to make sure that the setting's design fits within that dynamic. But at first, Redfall was too open, he says. It was like there was not enough blocking you or ch channeling you, but it's very open rooftops and alleys, streets in the small town. Redfall, Massachusetts, which, which is like a fishing community, a tourist community, corn, historic. New England stuff with the stealthy takeover by vampires. But the one thing we do in terms of getting pretty heavily is that we divide the world into two districts. District 1 is the first half of the mission and is downtown part of Redfall, while District 2 is more rural as far as lighthouses, churches, things like that. Arcade has worked to refine the trans design, which with the end result being an open world co-op game in which multi multiple players work together to take back Redfall's neighboring hoods from the vampires. In doing so, they are free to venture off on their own, but, but at the cost of potentially making things more difficult for themselves, as they say in Dungeons & Dragons, you should never split the party. It's very much in keeping with Arcane's earlier games, where players are encouraged to explore, experiment, develop unique solutions to their problems. What would Arcane's DNA look like in an open world? The way we do resources, scavenging for ammo and medical stuff, lockpicks, and the way we approach buildings, there's multiple entries and the problem to gameplay encounters, there's multiple ways you can approach it. What would we like to do it to work together? Because if you play so low, it's a lot spookier. It's a lot more atmospheric, slow pace. As soon as you add in a person, you're not really afraid anymore because you have a friend there. But there's got to be something like that to make up for it. So the social aspect, the narrative changing in terms for the of the banter between characters, just the fun of playing with another person, Layla drops the elevator and everybody can get on the roof or get up in a high advantage or whatever. There's a lot of little singes, synergies like that in there. So they talk about the very dynamic systems, driving the narrative design as characters get to know each other over time. That says Smith Arc says Arcane is de-emphasizing branching missions this time around, meaning Redfall won't have multiple endings in the traditional sense. Okay, after it got delayed to 2023, along with Starfield, so get ready for that. Meanwhile, for those who love Knights of the Old Republic 2, but hated the fact that how much cut content was cut from the game because, oh my god, I made a podcast all about the cut content because they had that much content to talk about. Uh, god. So, after over, like, two, two whole decades, I I'm not kidding. <laughs> They are finally going to have the original version's cut content added to the Nintendo Switch, and we'll be adding to other stuff later this year. 
in the third quarter. This content was the content that was removed from the original version of Kotar 2 and includes new missions, dialogue, and other content that's woven throughout the entire game. Given how intrinsic it is to the game, the players will need to start a fresh save in order to experience it. Eurogame inspired a tweet from the developer port developer. Espa, I can't pronounce it, uh, which confirmed you will need to start a new game with the DLC content and able to access the additional content. However, after the DLC releases and you still wish to finish your non-DLC Pelifu, you can access those saved game files most by disabling the DLC in the in-game main menu. The extra content, which will be added for free, includes a mission where players play the Droid Companion HK47 and explore a mysterious HK manufacturing plant, a new and improved ending that includes more party interactions and extra knowledge Acknowledgement, acknowledgement of the player's past choices, library crew conversations overall, and a variety of other quests and challenges that could rest the galaxy. So, after 20 years, they finally said we're bringing it back. Oh, man. Now we don't have to rely on mods anymore on that front. Meanwhile, uh, Kojima has, has now announced a completely new game that no one has ever experienced or seen before for the Xbox. And he's even said this has been one of the dream projects he's always wanted to do, Hideo Kojima. But he also wanted to rest assured Pete fans that, yes, he's still on very good partnership terms with PlayStation, despite the Xbox announcement. Oh, man. So, yeah, the Xbox announcement led to an outcry among some fans, or as I call them, tribalists. Of Kojima, who felt the Legend of Zelda should move away from his ties to PlayStation, some even set up petitions asking to Kojima Productions to not work in the Xbox game. Oh my God! Oh man, can't. Oh man. Yeah, my my brain hurts. Okay, we're gonna take a brief break to the ad while my mind recovers from the ad nauseum I just experienced. Uh, we'll be back after these messages and ad breaks. Stay tuned for more, and I'll see y'all next time soon. Very well, and... Oh, God damn it. Welcome back. After recovering from my massive brain aneurysm from the fact that, that PlayStation tribalists have lost their mind, we're back to finishing this off. So, anyways, Avatar The Last Airbender. So, remember how over the last about a year or so, they've been a they're Nickelodeon and the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra have operated a new Avatar Studios banner that was set up, the goal of creating original content and movies set in the world of The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra for release on Paramount Plus, Nickelodeon platforms, and unspecified, unspecified third-party platforms as well as cinema. It was announced last year that Nickelodeon has started to lay the groundwork for an Avatar Airbender universe that would encompass multiple TV series and movies across a variety of platforms. The leaders of the studio announced that there are still many stories and tales, time periods, and Aang's world to be covered on screen. While nothing has materialized just yet from those ventures, including that Netflix live-action adaptation of the series, which probably didn't need to be made, but okay, it has been announced that there will be three animated movies now in development. Paramount Animation Nickelodeon Animation announced that these new projects are during the special presentation during the International Animation Film Festival, where they also revealed that the previous that one of the previously worker previously uh, directors of the acclaimed series uh, will direct the first of the three planned Avatar movies. Several Avatar veterans such uh, returning to assist Sister Lauren with the first title of the series. 
and the creators of Avatar and are re-teaming as producers on this project alongside Eric Holman, who served as the executive producer of the prod and production manager of the last Avatar series. Saying in a press release, as original creators, Mike and Brian expanded the Avatar universe with us. We're keeping it all in the family with Lauren bringing in some kind of expert, beautiful work she did on the original series to her direct new directing duties on the forthcoming theatrical. Paramount and Nickelodeon's executive vice president of animation, and Laftia Oria, I'm pretty sure I butchered that, will be overseeing Untitled animated Avatar film, the Untitled film, from its development through production, alongside Paramount Animation and Nickelodeon Animation Vice President of Animation Jason McConnell. McConnell? No. No. I can't with it like this again. Anyways. All three films are being developed under the Avatar Studios banner, which was launched last year with the goal of creating content, like I mentioned. So, I don't... So, they keep saying it's going to be the last... Like, they keep... Okay, so... I, I'm curious to know, is this the three movies taking place with Aang's story? Or will this eventually involve... Or will this be Korra's story? Or will it be a whole new character? Like, they keep mentioning Aang a lot, and Korra's been mostly relegated to comic books, so... No explanation on that front. And I know I know this is theoretically impossible, unless you do bring in time travel, but wouldn't it be interesting to see Korra and Aang eventually meet via the time travel shenanigans that could happen? I, like, I don't know how they could do that. They haven't established time travel in the series, in both series, so who knows? And the, I'm like, you could probably make it work because Korra no longer has connection to the past lives due to the events of Shenanigans of Season 2. Uh, and now there's this whole balance equation thing you could bring in. And like, I don't know. I'm just get, I'm just throwing, throwing ideas out there. Uh, we'll see. Meanwhile, the director of Thor, Thor Ragnarok has talked about his new Star Wars films, which will focus on completing new cast of characters as it aims to expand the universe. Speaking to Toll Film, he explained that his goal is to make a film that re relies on references of, to pre-existing lore and canon, as doing so really doesn't let stars grow. Gee, I could have told you that. Say, I think for the Star Wars universe to expand, it has to expand. I don't think that I'm used to any used to with use in the Star Wars universe making a film where everyone's like, oh great, well that's the blueprints for the, for the Millennium Falcon. That's Chewbacca's grandmother. That all stands alone, that's great. Though I would like to take something new and create some new characters just to expand the world. Otherwise it feels like a very small story. Does, does no one, does anyone that talks about how much they want to expand Star Wars just not know about the past continuity? Like, this is one of the things that annoyed me to no end about Star Wars' lore. It's like... Okay, how do I uh, say this right? Uh, th this is the part where it's going to get weird. For some reason, every character in the Star Wars universe, from the tiniest background detail to the most unimportant elements added... They would all have a massive, complicated backstory or storyline afterwards. <laughs> like, okay, 
Remember in episode one, you saw in the background that I didn't even know was there until literally a year later, a year, like several years after I saw the Phantom Menace the first time when I was a young lad. Uh, there was this character with the yellow color around his face, across his face, and I was like, oh, that's a cool design, but uh, yeah, let's move on. Let's focus on these guys. Uh, so we made no pen attention to that. I think I didn't even know about that character till about years later when I found out that he was in episode one, but we never knew that. Well, that was the Jedi Master Quinlan Boss, and it was revealed in a massive retcon that he was investigating and doing some mission of his own, which leads to multiple questions that I have. How does he not interact and how does Qui-Gon not sense him? Or Obi-Wan? Or anyone, really, that has a Jedi, or even has the potential of the Force, and yet, he, he's right there. Uh, uh, like, you mean to tell me Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon couldn't recognize that? Like, I know they were saying he was probably undercover and doing something, but like, yeah, and they had to establish that reasoning. It's like, that's the most famous moment I could think of where they have this total background character and they say he is like one of the most important characters in the Clone Wars era. Heck, there's even that bounty hunter, Aurora Singh. Yeah, she was just a background character looking like a who was at the pod racing event, just watching everything. Yeah, no, let's make a super massive complicated backstory for her and reveal that she actually was a Jedi once upon a time, then fell to the dark side sort of, and then left the order. She was apprenticed to the dark woman as she was called, and became the scourge of the Jedi. So, yeah. Yeah, the, the, see, that's the thing. Every character seemed to have a massive backstory to them. Like even the, even that. Okay, remember that creature that got his arm chopped off by Obi Wan in Episode Four: A New Hope? Yeah, massive backstory and storyline for him in the expanded universe. Like that. That was one of my biggest annoyances. Like, okay, look, I get you want to make the story as fleshed out as possible, and this universe is great. But why does every single character have a massive backstory? They can't just be an average citizen that's just there and exists. I, I don't know. I think I think I think a lot of these people forget that happened. <laughs> oh man. It just annoys me how, how everyone seems to now forget that even back then they made the universe way so big that they even included intergalactic creatures like the Yuuzhan Vong. And they were sort of hinting at something in the new canon. And then the Rise of Skywalker happened that completely destroyed everything. And now they have like all this stuff that was clearly building up for Snoke to be an outside galaxy presence. And they gave hints and suggestions that he was around before Palpatine even, quote, created him. So, what the hell? But, okay, let's move on from my tangent on this Star Wars nonsense. Overwatch 2 ditches loot boxes. Yay! But it includes battle passes and a store. Boo! Oh, good. So, yeah. Uh, they announced that the free-to-play changes to doing away with loot boxes entirely. We have a new Battle Pass model coming in, and we have it in store as well, so players can have a lot more control of how they interact with the game and acquire new content. <laughs> okay, we're getting a Fortnite treatment again. 
Like I played some Fortnite, I did a lot better than I initially thought I would do, but okay. So, yeah. Meanwhile, Game of Thrones, uh, Jon Snow is set to return as a sequel spin-off series focusing on him in early development according to Hollywood Reporter. The character is set to be reprised by his actor, Kit Harrington, and is reportedly already attached to return to the role of the project proceeds. Set after the Game of Thrones' divisive eighth and final season would be an interesting move, reopening the door of the much-discussed final events of the series. In the series finale, Snow was exiled from the Westeros to the Night's Watch. We were last seen hanging north of the Wall with the Wildlings. Okay. This potential Jon Snow series is far from the only Game of Thrones spinoff in the pipe, but in fact it would be the seventh Game of Thrones project, not counting the prequel series House of the Dragon, which is in the post-production due to launch on August 21st. Game of Thrones author George R. R. Martin recently updated fans on a number of planned live-action and anime shows set in the GTOT universe, cautioning that not every series was likely to get on air, but expressing his hopes that many would. So it would be interesting to see how Jon Snow is being done after all this was said and done. It's going to be very interesting to see how they handle this. I, I'm curious to know, like, Jon Snow's great. Uh, I liked his character a lot when I was watching Game of Thrones, but it's now interesting where they take him now, considering they left a whole bunch of things open-ended on him, like his bloodline heritage and everything. So... So in the more frustrating madness of this world, Activision Blizzard... After conducting a thorough investigation with its own internal force, as announced, the board directors have claimed it has found no evidence. There are a hundred different reasons why I could say something right now, but I'm just going to say this. The board protected Bobby Kotick, even though it's been revealed what he's done. There's even voicemail, documentation, witnesses. And you don't think there would be clear biases going on? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. God fucking damn it. Anyways, as I try my best not to rush out of here and scream, I will say some other stuff to move on to some more celebration positive news. DC has announced that they will release a poster portfolio collection of George Perez's artwork, who tragically passed away on May in May at the age of 67. Featuring artwork, including artwork from the Teen Titans era, Wonder Woman, Christ on the Infinite Earth, Infinite Crisis, and more. For the solicit text, this poster collection features a fraction of the works by this beloved illustrator whose artist touched the hearts of comic fans around the world for generations. Ah. My god, he will be missed. Meanwhile, uh, Midnight Suns, that new upcoming video ga game, uh, yeah, the Marvel's already working on a new one, new comic called The Midnight Suns. <laughs> oh, 
yeah, they're making a Midnight Sun game because they're making a new comic because we have to make money off of our comic books. So, yeah. Oh, God damn it. So, yeah. Uh, I saw this coming a mile away. Meanwhile, Tim Drake, you remember Tim Drake, right? The character who is now part of the LGBTQ community for a character that hasn't been around in over a decade up until this point last year? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't know that as well either. I didn't even know who that character was, Bernard. Yeah, but, um... The word around the street is is that following the events of Batman Urban Legends and DC Pride Tendrake Special Number 1, DC announced that Tendrake will get his own, own ongoing series in the fall with Tendrake Robin. You could have called him Red Robin. Yum! And all that. And it will be illustrated by Harley Quinn's artist Riley Rosmo, which means I'm probably not going to get it because... Okay, I'll do respect to Riley Rosmo. Uh, I don't like the artwork. I feel like it fits more for horror aesthetics. But yeah, it will be written by Megan Fitzman Martin or whatever. I can't pronounce that right. I'm pretty sure. They will introduce a new character, new villain who's been watching the character from afar, but now tends to get up close and personal. Unfortunately, Tim isn't the only one in danger with the new friend. His new boyfriend, Bernard, and everyone he cares about will be affected as well. Meanwhile, Tim has carved his own corner of Gotham City instead of shopping what the public describes as a murder shack boat. Sounds weird. To celebrate the launch of the series, Tim Drake number one, Robin number one, will feature four bearing covers showcasing his iconic looks throughout the years, including one, including a one year later bearing by George Jimenez, a one twenty five debut era by Sweeney Boo, a one fifty Young Justice era by Dan Moore, and a one one hundred ratio ten Teen Titans era Jamal Capel, Campbell. So, get ready for that. I would probably get the George Jimenez one. That's awesome. Also, there's set to be a Harley Quinn variant cover because Harley Quinn is turning 30! Yay! 30 years of Harley! So, yeah, uh. So, yeah. After over 20, after 30 years since her big landmark debut of the 22nd episode of the landmark Batman anime series on September 11, 1992, not at all dark when you think about that day, uh, DC will announce, a, announce that it will celebrate her 30th anniversary in September with the Harley Quinn 30th anniversary special, a prestige format 96-page one-shot anthology that will go on sale September 30th, just two days shy of the actual special day, because of reasons that people forgot. For various dark reasons. Yeah. So anyways, artists... Also, we get to see Sedgwick again. Stephen Sedgwick. Yay! And features a whole ton of artwork and credits from past writers and artists, such as Amanda Connor. There will also be variant covers... So, I'm excited for that. There will even be a art journal variant, which means I will guarantee myself to get that, damn it. So, yeah, congratulations, Hard Quinn. You made it in 30 years. Now we need to talk about something somewhat serious. 
Final Fantasy VII has gotten massive updates. As we reach the 25th anniversary of the Final Fantasy VII saga, they have announced a series of stuff. Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII is coming back with a reunion game. <sighs> so, yeah, Crisis Core is being is announced for this winter for Final Fantasy VII, a reunion game. So, featuring Zack and all his glory, and even a shot for shot remake scene of it. But it also it may feature up its uh, drastically changed outcome and how everything got altered in this new timeline. Hijinks sincere, you have to play the game just to figure out what the hell happened out, and even then you're probably confused because it's Tessiri Norma. And there was even announced that Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 2 comes out next winter, called announced Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, featuring teasing of the Final Fantasy characters and also featuring Sephiroth. And also featuring, um, featuring the all clearly hinting more that Aerith and Sephiroth are in fact from another time, from the original timeline, came right back in time to change history and now all hijinks ensuing. <laughs> yeah, that's my theory that Final Fantasy still exists in the characters' minds. It's just that Aerith and Sephiroth have went back in time and hijinks are ensuing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God damn it. So, Final Fantasy VII Remake is now a three-part trilogy. Yeah, it's shocking, I know. Rebirth would be the second in which is now planned to be the three-part trilogy of Square Enix. And, and the trailer that came out that came out for the next one that features the narrative changes probably happening and features more questions than answers, along with Sephiroth, Cloud, and Zax. Un, un, a surprising survival. And Tetsuya Norma has announced that work has already started on Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 3. If I had to take a guess, there was Final Fantasy VII Remake, there was Rebirth, what's the last one? Revelation? Like, they already have Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion, so is it going to be Revelation? I'm like, that would make sense, so... <laughs> yeah, get ready for that insanity. I'm going to be curious to see how Tetsuya Norma Nobumu, uh, alters the timeline even more with wacky hijinks and Kingdom Hearts-esque style of craziness. Oh, man. So, this was Neo Reality Collective. Feel free to check out my other content. This episode, once again, sponsored by by EDF Sports, by everyday by the everydayfans.com site. Feel free to check out their content in the description below. I'll be seeing y'all next time for the next episode. Oh peace out, take care, and I have some other stuff planned such as Kenobi, Kenobi, and all that hijinks. So good luck everyone. Take care. See you all again. Stay tuned for this last ad, ad break and outro, and we'll see y'all again next time. Take care. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa.